Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Mid-American Bandwagon podcast. Episode 67 to you coming to you here this week. Uh, we are on to week seven of the college football season. Time flies when you're having fun. I can't believe it. We're already halfway through the season. Uh, a crazy weekend of college football this past weekend. Some crazy results in the MAC as well. Uh, we're excited to hear and break it down for all of you. As always, I am Zach Follador here steering the ship with my co-host, Steve Helwick. Steve, how are you tonight, man? I'm doing excellent, and it's a fun time to be a sports fan. I, I got to watch some of the NHL games last night. The Penguins yeah. upset the Lightning, and then the Seattle Kraken make their debut against the Gold Knights. So that was, that was kind of what I did last night, and watched some App State Louisiana in there too. So I couldn't believe the final score of that App State game. They haven't been beat like that in a long time, since 2016. And, yeah, it looks like Louisiana, after that loss to Texas, they haven't lost since, and they look like they're contenders in the fun belt this year to take down Coastal in a Sun Belt championship game we never got last year. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a fun race there at the top. I mean, some great teams there at the top of the Sun Belt. And, you know, you mentioned the NHL. I, I, I always say, like, I feel like as a sports fan, this time from, like, mid-October till mm-hmm. the end of the year is like the best time of the year because NHL is starting up NBA starts what next week I think is opening night for the NBA yeah next Tuesday yeah next Tuesday for the NBA and then you go into the first week of November college basketball starts up so like now through the end of the year is like a phenomenal time for sports I really love you got the MLB playoffs going on right now if you're into mm-hmm. baseball I mean so much going on right now in sports it's a it's a great time to be a sports fan but uh but anyway nonetheless uh, as I teased a little bit in the intro there, we had some crazy results here in the Mac this week that I think uh, I'm not sure anyone saw coming. We had Steve, we had three double digit underdogs win outright in the Mac this week. Northern Illinois was a 12 and a half point, uh, underdog at Toledo bowling. Akron was a 14 and a half point underdog at Bowling Green ball State a 10 and a half point underdog at Western Michigan. All three of those teams pulled off the upsets and, uh, came out with the outright victory. So let's get right into it here, Steve. A lot to talk about when it comes to the Mac last week. Uh, as far as the performance of the week for you, whether it be team, individual, whatever, you, you know, your choice, what, uh, what stood out to you in the Mac this week? Well, first, before I get into performance of the week, I think we talked about how shady that Toledo NIU line was last week, what, 12 yes. and a half with NIU, the way they've been playing. So that, the fact that the Huskies won that game did not surprise me. But what did surprise me was my performance of the week, and that is the Akron Zips, and I'm going more specific into Zach Gibson. Zach Gibson yeah. was a quarterback of the 2020 team, and Akron really struggled offensively last year. He also played for some reps for the 2019 that didn't even win a game, and Gibson never really got on the right footing in those games. He comes in for an injured Cato Nelson and defeats Bowling Green 35-20. to And every week we talk about how great Bowling Green's passing defense was and how every quarterback is completing like 50% of their passes on them and struggling to get anything. Gibson comes in and he completes 14 of 15 passes, 
177 yards and three touchdown passes. About as efficient of a day as you can have. Highest QB rating in college football in week six. So Gibson and Akron for their huge 35 to 20 win over a seemingly improved Bowling Green team is my performance of the week. Can't I can't disagree with you there. And um, you know, there there's that old football cliche that, you know, if you have two quarterbacks, you really have no quarterbacks. Well, what happens when you have three quarterbacks? Because now with Akron, you got Cato Nelson, we got DJ Irons, we got Zach Gibson. Cato Nelson, obviously, like the senior leader of the team, he seems like he can't stay healthy. So I'm not sure how much we're going to see of him moving forward. Obviously, DJ Irons has performed very well thus far this year. But then Zach Gibson comes in pinch hits this week. I, I, again, you, I mean, I can't, I can't uh, disagree with anything you said. You know, I look back at his numbers from last year, not great, not terrible. I mean, 57.6% completion percentage, four touchdowns, five interceptions, 784 yards. For a true freshman, I, well, I guess I should say a, a second-year freshman there uh, in 2020, not terrible numbers. But, I mean, he didn't look anything last year like he did on Saturday against Bowling Green. And as you said, Bowling Green has played really well on defense thus far this year. So that was one of the most absurd uh, – the, the way that game flipped was unbelievable to me. As I was saying to you before we started recording – I mean, Bowling Green completely dominated that first quarter. The first touchdown pass that uh, that Matt McDonald threw, one of the best throws I have ever seen him make right down the seam. And uh, they Bowling Green was rolling there for the first quarter, and then it just things just completely flipped. Akron got that goal line stand, and uh, things started to kind of progress for them for, uh, from them for there. So big win for the Zips. Very, very happy for them. My performance of the week here, Steve, uh, I'm, I'm going um, – uh, across the state to Northeast Ohio. I'm going to go with Kent State wide receiver, Dante Cephas. How about this guy? Uh, last week, I mean, b- first of all, Kent State really seemed to kind of find their footing offensively. I think that Kent State offense that we saw on Saturday against Buffalo is the Kent State offense that we all have kind of expected through the first month of the season. They had over 600 yards of total offense against the Bulls. But Dante Cephas in this one, 13 receptions, 186 yards, and three touchdowns. The Bulls secondary did not know what to do with him. And how about this, Steve? Listen to this. So Dante Sivas now, he's a third-year sophomore, obviously, with, with last year not counting. In his first 10 career games, 22 catches, 234 yards, no touchdowns. In his last three games, 29 catches, 391 yards, four touchdowns. You want to talk about a guy that's developed and kind of coming into his own? I mean, this is an offense with weapons all over the place. you got Marquez Cooper in the backfield. And then at also at wide receiver, you know, got, you got Syracuse transfer, Nikeen Johnson. you got Kashawn Abram. you got Kashawn Polk. All these high, high-powered, really good receivers. And yet Dante Sivas is the one that seems to be taking the lead role there on this receiving core. Really liked what I saw from him on Saturday. Yeah, I thought before the season, I think we did a roundtable with Hustle Belt, and I put him as my breakout player because I thought Isaiah McCoy's production had to go somewhere. And I saw some of the speed in his route running, and especially the Eastern Michigan game last year. And I thought that Cephas was somebody who was going to really turn the corner this year. But two games this season with with at least 10 catches on 150 yards, I mean, Cephas has been incredible, and he really mastered that quick slant route where he burned – coverage twice in that game and he also had one down the seam for his other touchdown so three touchdowns and Kent State finally put up the offense that we expected to see out of them all year and with a 2-0 record in MAC play they look like the team to beat right now I mean NIU skated by their victory against Toledo and Eastern Michigan but 
right now, I think Kent State looks like the most dominant team in the conference, which is as wide open as ever at the moment. Can't disagree with that at all. Cannot disagree with that at all. They're certainly in the driver's seat, at least in the Eastern Division. Uh, how about on the other, uh, the flip side of things here, Steve? Disappointment of the week. What was uh, what was the the kind of the disappointing thing that you witnessed this weekend here in the MAC? I'm going to put it on Western Michigan because I expected a lot more of this team after they beat Pitt. I mean, there's no shame in losing to a top 10 Michigan team in a game which I actually thought was closer than the box score suggested. But after Michigan took down Pitt's high-powered nation's leading scoring offense, I thought this team might even run the table in the conference. And it was a little concerning to see them lose to Ball State at, at home by 25 points. Caleb Ellaby, very efficient quarterback on the norm. He entered the game with the most passing attempts on the season without an interception. He threw two interceptions, and that really turned the tide of the game because on the first one, Western Michigan was attempting to retake the lead, and Ball State went up two possessions, and then he throws another one, and then Ball State effectively gets the game out of hand, and Ball State recovers a fumble for a touchdown on a punt in the fourth quarter, so... Ball State really dominated the end of that game. Western Michigan couldn't get its rushing offense going either, averaging 2.4 points per game collectively. Ball State dominated the line of scrimmage in this one, and we saw some of those stars from that all-Mac, from that defense that just got all those all-Mac selections last year. Bryce Cosby had a great game. Anthony Ekpe, who missed some games earlier this year, really stood out to me. And Ball State, they won the turnover battle 4-0 and 45-20 to results, even no matter how good a team are. That's what happens when you win the turnover battle 4 zero. Yeah, and especially for a team like Western Michigan that only given the ball away once all year uh, mm -hmm. coming into this game. I mean, really disappointing, uh, you know, the performance from the Broncos. And I think, you know, the thing that is – if the thing that worries me if I'm a Western Michigan fan right now is that, you know, I, I was a big believer in this Western Michigan defense – uh, after the previous two weeks when they shut down Buffalo and really, really shut down San Jose State. But after seeing what Ball State did to them on Saturday, I think the Broncos' dominance against those previous two teams might have had more to do with the fact that those teams are kind of more run-first teams that don't, that don't have quite the, the weapons on the outside. It still seems like those teams with dynamic passing offenses are able to get behind this Broncos secondary. I mean, you first play of the game, 75-yard touchdown pass to Jalen McGoy, and then later in that game on the 25-yard touchdown pass to Johannes Tyler, neither of those receivers had anyone within 10 yards of them on those plays, right? So um, it's starting to seem to me like the secondary, while I thought they might have figured some things out, now I'm not so sure that might not bode so well for this defense with Kent State coming into Kalamazoo this weekend, which obviously we'll, we'll talk about that game a, a little bit more here uh, in, in the week seven preview. Uh, for, for my disappointment of the week here, Steve, I, I got to go with Toledo. Um, you know, this is a team that I, I expect more from them. You know, this is we talked about this last week. If you look back at the last four years, all the way back to 2017, every single year, Toledo has had either the first or second rated recruiting class in the MAC. This is a team that, that collects talent. They have as talented of a roster, top to bottom. And yet every year, it seems like there's a game or two like this where they just can't get out of their own way. They've already had two of them this year with this game against Northern Illinois, earlier this year against Colorado State, which is still one of the most inexplicable losses of the season to me. Although I know Colorado State seems to have turned things around a little bit here these last few weeks. But Toledo right now, 
they don't seem to know what they want to do on offense. You know, Daquan Finn and Carter Bradley have been splitting, uh, splitting time at quarterback. Daquan Flynn seems to have kind of taken over the QB one role, which we'll talk a little bit more about that. This team ran the ball. They got six yards of carry this game, but they only ran the ball 22 times. They seem like intent to continue to force the, the issue uh, through, you know, through the air, even though they're clearly a better running team. Defensively, they give up 242 yards on the ground to Northern Illinois, who was out without Harrison Way Lee. Although it's starting to seem like for the Huskies, it doesn't matter who's back there, that they're going to run the ball anyway. I just, you know, if I'm Toledo, um, you know, this is a game I expect to win. This is a game I expected Toledo to win. And I'm sure that there were, I, you know, if I could pick worse performances, I'm sure, you know, Bowling Green obviously was very disappointing as well. But I think this, given what is expected of the Toledo program, given the expectations around the program, this is a consistent pattern of underwhelming performances for me. And so I got to give them my, my disappointing performance of the week because it seems like this is a recurring theme for the Rockets. And um, if, I'm a, if I'm a Rockets fan, I, I'm very, very disappointed with what I saw on Saturday. I'm not going to lie. I'm surprised that game came down to a last-minute field goal. Just when you look at some of the stats Toledo put up in this game, third down efficiency, they converted one of 10 third downs. Fourth down, they turned it over on downs three times. One of the times was early on, they did it just before midfield, and then two times later in the game, they did it uh, around like the 40-yard the line of NIU. So yeah. one for 13 total on third and fourth downs in that game. NIU hogged up 41 minutes of possession. Pound the rock, control the clock. Ontario Brown, Rocky Lombardi just had great rushing days. And it wasn't like breakout runs. It was just death by paper cuts and Toledo couldn't really stop it. So that's what 41 minutes of possession. So then Toledo isn't going to have as many reps that they can get their offense or Bryant Kobach, especially when they can't stay on the field and third downs feel like passing downs for Toledo. And that's why they were throwing it so much because they face so many third downs and they couldn't, they couldn't advance the ball after them. And Toledo is the most penalized team in college football. Yep. Even more so than Tulsa, which is infamous for getting penalties every year. <laughs> I know, I know, uh, I think it was Kelly Hines of the Tulsa world wrote an article documenting every penalty that Tulsa has picked up for the past couple of years today, but Toledo this year is averaging 93 penalty yards per game with a nation's high 61 penalties. Nobody else has more than 57. So this team's just not disciplined. It's a lot of holding calls pre-snap penalties too and that is just when you lose a hundred almost 100 yards per game on flags that is just not a good sign I mean conversely you have Eastern Michigan in the conference that's played really disciplined football and I think they're like the second least penalized team in the country and that's like 30 yards per game I mean that's yeah. that's 70 yard difference that's a whole possession and the fact that Toledo's just committing penalties and I, I said this a couple of weeks ago against Colorado State there's that the penalties are an issue and there's no sign of them improving right now. So Toledo has a lot of issues. Talent isn't one of them. I mean, Bryant Kobach is a heck of a halfback. You've seen their defense. They've showed out every single game this year, I think, other than like that last drive against Notre Dame. I don't think they've had like a bad defensive performance yet. And they're stunningly losing games still. And they're three and three, one and one in conference. I mean, the Mac is championship still on the table for them because the West is so wide open, but I need to see more out of Toledo, especially on offense and in discipline for me to believe in this Rockets team. Yeah, the discipline thing is I'm glad you mentioned the penalties because that was another thing that, that I wanted to bring up. I mean, even in this game here, 10 penalties, 100 yards, you lose a game by two points and you look at that right there and you say that could very easily could have swung the game. 
this Toledo team, I mean, your next three weeks, you go to Central Michigan and you get Western Michigan and Eastern Michigan at home, three coin flip games. And uh, I don't know, I, I, things, I feel like things could go south here for the Rockets. I'm not saying they're going to, but I, I could definitely see it happening. And for a team that, if you would ask me at the beginning of the year, um, you know, they, they were one of the three teams that I, I had in the mix for, you know, to win the West division. I don't think I can say that now, obviously, as you said, that's still on the table for them. If, if they get things turned around here and get things figured out, you're still only one and one in the conference. You still have to play Western Michigan. Who's one of the other presumptive favorites in the division as well. Certainly time for the Rockets to turn things around here, but I don't love what I see, uh, from Jason, Jason Candle's squad thus far. So um, let's, uh, let's take a look now, Steve. Let's look at week seven here coming up on Saturday. Uh, great slate of MAC games here. A lot to get into. A lot of interesting matchups. Let's start in upstate New York. Uh, Ohio, the Bobcats and, and Coach Tim Albin travel up to Buffalo to take on the Bulls. Buffalo, a nine-and-a-half-point favorite at home in this one. 56-and-a-half the, the, uh, the total here. This one kicks Saturday at noon on ESPN+. Steve, these are two teams that offensively have a very similar identity. I mean, neither of them throw the ball a ton, but they're third and fourth, respectively, in the MAC in rushing. Uh, Buffalo at 209.7 a game, Ohio averaging 190 yards per game. Now, Buffalo might have the, the advantage there because Buffalo is fifth in rush defense in the MAC. Ohio dead last. Ohio giving up 241 rushing yards a game. There's, you know, of the top 10, uh, backs in the Mac in terms of yardage three of them are in the Buffalo backfield Steve Marks is uh Marks is eighth Dylan McDuffie is ninth and Ron Cook Jr. is 10th all in the top 10 in the Mac in terms of rushing yards Ron Cook Jr. is last there with only 322 rushing yards but he leads the team in yards per carry with seven um I I've liked I mean I think Ohio has given us two pretty good performances here over the last few weeks uh you know that was a, a really close game that they they could have won against Central Michigan this past Saturday Things seem to be improving for the Bobcats. However, I don't know if this matchup is in their favor, given their struggles stopping the run. How do you see this one playing out? I think this is a game that Buffalo is finally going to win. I haven't seen Buffalo really play that poorly this year. I mean, their only really bad performance was against Nebraska, and they were in that game for a while before the Huskers just had a couple big plays, which took it out of reach later on, just two long passes to Samari Torre in that game. But Buffalo was the only team to hold Coastal Carolina below 49 points this year, and they came within three. And their defense showed up pretty well against Western Michigan. Against Kent State, it wasn't their defense, but it was their offense that impressed me. They were down 31 to 10, and we saw their rushing game just take over. Dylan McDuffie, Kevin Marks Jr., and, uh, and Ron Cook Jr. all showed out in that game. All three backs had at least 70 yards, and Buffalo collected over 300 rushing yards and four touchdowns as a team. It's looking like Buffalo of old again, just a team that can control games on the ground. Uh, Kyle Van Trees did throw a lot, and that was especially late in the fourth quarter while trying to piece that comeback. And it just wasn't as efficient through the air as it was through the ground. So Buffalo... I think they still have that identity as a good rushing team. And I, I do think that their defense is pretty solid still, no matter what Kent State did to them. I mean, they're really good at penetrating the backfield. Taylor Riggins and Kadofi Wright combined for 13 tackles for loss this year. And they have one of the premier pass rushing units in the conference, led by Taylor Riggins, who I mentioned earlier. Buffalo, one thing that did happen, this is a weekly update in our podcast. Did Buffalo allow a sack? Yes. And they allowed <laughs> two sacks. For the first time 
since September 2019. So it's been what, like 18 or 19 games since Buffalo allowed multi sacks. One of those yeah. sacks was especially costly late in the late in the game because it stalled a Buffalo drive, and they ended up kicking a field goal and shanking it on there. Which that was one other thing I need to talk about Buffalo is I don't know why they're kicking field goals. Agreed. Yeah, <laughs> their field goal kicking this year they're six of twelve. On field goals last year, they under Lance Leipold, they just adopted like a no field goal strategy and they didn't even make one into their bowl game and they finished a year ranked. Like, I, I honestly think Buffalo needs to gamble on these fourth downs more. So, th- that's one strategy I'd have for the Bulls going forward. But I do feel comfortable about this game. It's a, it's a home game for them. Ohio's improved, but they still didn't have a great start to the year. Ohio's committed to running the ball over 70% of the time now. So like you said, it's going to be two ground-based teams. So we're going to see a lot of reps from Demontre Tuggle and Armani Rogers for the Bobcats. The Bobcats really had Central Michigan almost on the ropes in that game. And I thought that they played just a lot better overall. The only thing that they struggle with is really containing the running game. And Lou Nichols put up 186 yards on them. So I don't really have too much fear in Buffalo's rushing offense getting things going this week and I say it every week I'm maybe not because the rushing game's too balanced but maybe this is the week that Kevin Marks gets his 100 yard game that we're all waiting for yeah you know I and but here's the thing about Kevin Marks and the thing about this running game is that at the beginning of the year with his slow start it was I was more so thinking that I don't know, something is off with Kevin Marks. But the more I watch Buffalo, I don't necessarily think it's an issue with Kevin Marks. I think it's more so the fact that Dylan McDuffie and Ron Cook Jr. have established themselves as legitimate backs in their own right. And there is a true split between the three of them, you know? And and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, when you can trot out three legitimate running backs there, I mean, McDuffie had 87 yards in this game, Marks with 80, Ron Cook Jr. with 72, rep- referencing the Kent State game. So I love the balance that I'm seeing from the running game here for Buffalo. The thing that is does start to concern me a little bit is that it's happened twice to Buffalo this year. So I'm not going to say it's a pattern just yet. But it does seem at times, you know, they, they sometimes struggle to put a complete game together. You look at this game against Kent State, you're down 31-10 at halftime. You storm back, you outscore them 28-3 in the, in the uh, third quarter before letting it slip away in the fourth. You rewind a couple of weeks, you're up 35-7 at halftime against Old Dominion, and you let the Monarchs come back. And Old Dominion should have tied that game at the end and sent it to overtime if they didn't miss that extra point. So I, I want to see Buffalo put a complete game together. They, they came close to doing that against – I think they did do that against Western Michigan a couple weeks ago. They just couldn't pull out the win. Uh, but I, I think this game is really going to come down to me. I just – I don't see um, – I don't see Ohio's defense being able to slow down this three-headed rushing attack for, uh, for Buffalo. You mentioned Lou Nichols, 30 carries for 186 yards last week on 6.2 yards per carry. It, Western Michigan only averaging about 160 yards per game on the ground this year. And, and they went well above that against the Bobcats this past Saturday. So um, yeah, this, I, the, as you said, I think this is going to be a kind of a ground-based game. I see a lot of long drives here, a lot of grind them out drives. I don't know though. I, there's a part of me, Steve. I mean, I think this 9.5 point spread, I think this might be a little bit generous towards Ohio. I could see Buffalo winning this one by two touchdowns. What do you think? 
not sure with all the craziness we've seen in the Mac lately and with Ohio's improvement, there's a lot of wild True. cards in this game, but uh, one, one stat I just wanted to present was Buffalo has played five games against FBS opponents this year. They've been outscored 64 to 15 in those fourth quarters. The only time they've won a fourth quarter was against coastal Carolina when they won eight to seven. So wow. finishing games has been this team's kryptonite. They've been pretty good in the middle of games. They, they started some slow, but finishing has really been an issue for this team. So that's one thing to look out for. But I, I, I Buffalo is going to win. I don't know. I could see it from like anywhere from seven to 14 points. So nine and a half sounds right to me. Man, 64 to 15 in the fourth quarter. That's not a stat you like to hear if you're a, a Bulls fan. Let's move on. Uh, heading to, uh, to Ypsilanti here for this next one, Steve. An interesting matchup. Ball State travels to the factory to take on Chris Creighton and the Eastern Michigan Eagles. Eastern Michigan, a two-and-a-half-point home underdog in this one. Kickoff Saturday at 2 o'clock on ESPN+. I think, Steve, both teams here are coming off their best performances of the season. Eastern Michigan was outgained pretty significantly by Miami, but they won that game 13-12, sacked A.J. Mayer three times, Teran Rush and Jose Ramirez. I was very impressed with both of them on the, on the defensive line for the Eagles. Uh, Drew Plitt and the Ball State offense looked great last week. Plitt had 310 uh, yards this year, which was his season high. Can this be the game when Ball State finally establishes a rushing attack? Eastern Michigan giving up 191 yards per game on the ground. Ball State's um, struggles in the run game have been well-documented. And then on the other side, is Eastern Michigan going to be able to keep Bryant, Ben Bryant upright? He was sacked six times against uh, the Red Hawks this past Saturday. Uh, on, they still pulled that game out, though, however. Uh, Steve, what do you think? I mean, obviously, Ball State is definitely trending up now after that game against Western Michigan. They seem to have figured things out. This is a tricky game, though. I mean, Eastern Michigan's been good at home. They've been good in general. I've been really impressed. I, their defense last week really impressed me against uh, the Red Hawks. I don't know. What do you see in this one? Yeah, Eastern Michigan's defense was insane. I don't know how many times this year I've seen 17 official quarterback hurries recorded yeah. in a box score. And Turan Rush was responsible for eight of those. Jose Ramirez picked up an additional five. So the Eagles defensive line has definitely caused some havoc recently. Ball State, I, I don't know. There's not going to be too much rushing in this game because both teams really have struggled with the ground game this year. And Darius Boone led all Eastern Michigan ball carriers with 36 yards last week for the Eagles. And then for Ball State, Carson Steele led them with 41 yards. I think these teams prefer to air it out a lot more so it's going to be drew plitt and ben bryant who are going to carry the offenses in this game but i think ball state has finally hit their stride offensively i said that johines tyler getting him involved is such a key to the game and tyler after not really doing much in this first four games of the year he's had two excellent showings in a row he has 10 catches 178 yards and two three touchdowns in his last two outings and Ball State's offense has put up their best two performances of the season because of it. And Justin Hall's still there, too. He had a touchdown on Saturday. He's going to perform well in the offense, just like always. But Ball State's defense also stepped up, and they they gave Western Michigan's running game a lot of fits, and I think they'll do the same thing to Eastern Michigan because Eastern Michigan hasn't really established much on the ground. I think they can control the line of scrimmage, just like Miami did against them. And they can get to the quarterback. Anthony Ekpe's back in the lineup with a Rice transfer who missed the first four games of the season. He got a sack last week. And I think just having him back is going to really help bolster the pass rush for this Ball State team because a year ago he had five sacks and two forced fumbles and was a regular in backfield. So Ekpe returning to Ball State's lineup is going to help their pass rush. 
And I think that Ball State's going to win this game on the road at the factory because Eastern Michigan is a little inconsistent for me on offense. They had those two great games under Ben Bryant where they put up like 101 combined points. But the last two games against Northern Illinois and Miami, they really haven't established too much on the offensive side of the things. Yeah, and I think the thing that concerns me if I'm an Eastern Michigan fan is that, you know, as I mentioned, you know, Ben Bryant got sacked six times on on Saturday against the Red Hawks. And, you know, you mentioned you mentioned Anthony Ekpe. This Ball State defense really got after Caleb Ellaby on Saturday. They sacked him four times. You know, two of those, you know, two of those four turnovers were um, Caleb Ellaby turnovers that were direct results of him getting hit in the backfield and, and being sacked. So that, that would worry me a little bit, this Eastern Michigan offensive line against that Ball State front seven. That Ball State front seven is playing at a really high level right now. I love watching Jalen Thomas play. He's been playing at a really high level for the Cardinals thus far this year. The other thing that concerns me, uh, if I'm an Eastern Michigan fan in this one, is that you look at these Ball State receivers. You got you mentioned Johannes Tyler, Justin Hall, Jayshon Jackson has been playing well. Uh, as well. And then you look at the box score from the Miami game, this, this Eastern Michigan secondary, you know, they only give up 12 points in this game, but Jack Sorensen in this game, seven receptions, 123 yards, Mac Hippenhammer, five receptions, 94 yards. All, all three of those guys that I just mentioned from ball state are just as good, if not better than that duo that Miami has. And so I, I wonder if, or how this Eastern Michigan secondary is going to slow down this Ball State passing attack. As you mentioned, I don't think there's going to be much running the ball in this game. Eastern Michigan averaging only 125 rush yards a game. Ball State averaging only 104. Neither of them over 4.0 yards per carry. Both of them under 3.5. I think, you know, because of that, I think it's going to come down to which passing attack can be more effective. And I, th- it, it, from my perspective, I think... Ball State is going to have more success protecting Drew Plitt and getting the ball in the hands of Johannes Tyler, Justin Hall, Jayshon Jackson, all those guys, versus I think on the other side of the things, the front seven from Ball State, I, I could see them getting into the backfield and hitting Ben Bryant pretty consistently in this one. I also think Ben Ball State pulls this one out. But as you mentioned, and you've said this before on, on the podcast, and I, I can't agree with you more, if there's any team in the MAC that's a wild card, it's Eastern Michigan. You know, you, I almost never know what to expect from them. When I expect them to lose, they, they pull things out. When I expect them to win, they sometimes disappoint me. Going to be an interesting one to see. But Eastern Michigan also, they win this game. I mean, Eastern Michigan, they're, they're quietly 4-2 and two right now. You know, 1-1. One and one. Obviously, everyone in the West is tied at 1-1 one and one other than Northern Illinois. Big game here for both teams if they want to get back into the thick of things in the division race. And uh, we, we can talk a little bit more about how muddled that West division is here uh, at the end of the show, but, uh, certainly an interesting one there in Ypsilanti this week, again, ball state, a two and a half point road favorite in that one total of 54 and a half kick at two o'clock on Saturday in Ypsilanti. Next up, we got the Akron zips traveling, uh, across the, the state of Ohio down to Miami to take on the Red Hawks, Miami, a 19 and a half point favorite in this one, the total 52 and a half. This one kicks Saturday at two 30 on ESPN plus. Akron coming off that huge win against BG Uh, defense was great after that first quarter, three interceptions of of McDonald and also that big goal line stand. Obviously Akron quarterback situation. We're not sure who we're going to get yet. Cato Nelson got hurt last week. DJ Nelson got hurt the week before Zach Gibson and came in and performed well. I haven't seen any injury updates. I don't think Tom Arthur's named a starter for this week for the zips, but that'll be an interesting thing to see. On the other side, Miami's had some injuries at quarterback as well. Gabbard is still questionable. A.J. Mayer has been playing. Uh, Miami, despite that, still third in the MAC in passing. 
Akron has struggled against the pass. I don't, I don't know. What do you, what do you see happen in this one? Obviously, as I mentioned, a lot of question marks here. We aren't really sure about the quarterback for either team in this one. Uh, this is an interesting matchup here, Steve. What do you think? I saw that Chuck Martin said that he's hopeful that Brett Gabbert and Jalen Bester both can play in this game on Saturday. So it sounds like they've progressed a bit. So Gabbert left the Central Michigan game two weeks ago with an injury. So missed the Miami, missed the Eastern Michigan game, which might have cost him a victory because AJ Meyer only Mayer only completed 16 of 39 passes in that game and was pressured all day long, although the pressure still would have been there no matter who's in the backfield for a quarterback. But Akron, I think they're going to start Zach Gibson is my what my gut feeling is just because you got to ride the hot hand. And yeah. some of Gibson's dropbacks looked really impressive against Bowling Green. I, I just remember one of those touchdown passes he threw, I think it was in the late third quarter where he, he just made an impressive just – move in the backfield and the, I thought the blocking scheme was really good on that play and he delivered thread the needle to deliver a touchdown pass to put Akron up 28 to 13 in that game so I think Gibson right now he's looking like a much improved version of his 2020 self and one thing I also asked Akron to do all year was to have a running back step up and have a receiver step up and we saw both of that happen against yeah. Bowling Green Blake Hester became their first rusher this season I think to eclipse the 70 yard mark and he got 120 rushing yards and two touchdowns in that game. And then they had their best receiving performance of the season with wide receiver Kanata Mumpfield getting six receptions, 106 yards, and two touchdowns. So I kept saying that Akron had solid quarterback play all year. I wanted to see more from the skill position players. And that's exactly what we saw against Bowling Green. And now I have reason to believe in Akron's offense. I don't believe in their defense as much. I know they forced five turnovers against Bowling Green, but you're not going to get five turnovers every game. And Bowling Green's kind of a struggling offense and still put up 20 with those turnover numbers. So I think that Miami's passing offense is going to be able to pick apart Akron's defense there, especially if Brett Gabbert is lining up under center. Jack Sorensen and Matt Hippenhammer have had some tremendous performances this year. And also Miami has some pretty good receiving tight end play too. So you'll be able to draw some of those matchups on both on Akron's linebackers there. So I think Miami is going to win this game. I think it'll be closer than the 19 point spread suggests. I think my preview I'm slated for something like 26 to 17 right now. Mm. I think that Miami wins comfortably, but not in a blowout fashion. I, I can agree with that. I, I also thought that the the spread here was a bit much. And, you know, you mentioned Zach Gibson and, and riding the hot hand for the zips. The thing that I loved to see in that game, he comes into this game, obviously, there's still, you know, it's 13-7 when he enters the game. He immediately injected a little bit of, of, of swagger, a little bit of confidence into this offense when he came into this game. And um, I was watching the game on replay uh, the other night and after, so they scored the touchdown to go up 14-13 there in the, in the third quarter whenever he threw that touchdown pass to Kanata Mumfield. And they were showing him come off the sidelines. And he wasn't talking to anyone in particular, but you could read his lips. And he was saying, we are winning this football game. You could read his lips saying that. And it's like that type of confidence, that's what you want to see from your quarterback. And I'm not saying that Cato Nelson and DJ Irons don't have that. But to your point, Steve, of riding the hot hand, I loved what I loved the kind of he, he gave the team a little bit of attitude when he walked into the game. Now, the thing your point is well taken also about the defensive matchups here, because 
despite the three turnovers that they forced uh, against Bowling Green, this Bowling Green offense still still moved the ball. And, you know, uh, Matt McDonald still threw for 257 yards in this game. The first interception that Matt McDonald threw, Bowling Green was up 13-7 and going in for another score. Matt McDonald threw a beautiful ball down the seam. It hit Austin Osborne right in the hands and popped straight up in the air, right into the hands of the Akron defensive back. It was not a play that was created by Akron's defense. It wasn't a mistake by Matt McDonald. It was a beautiful throw, and Austin Osborne just didn't catch the ball. So I, I say all that to say, I still think there's some issues on this Akron defense, and I don't see them being able to contain Jack Sorensen, Mac Hippenhammer. I think those two guys are quietly one of the better receiving duos here in the Mac. And you, I mean, you look at the, uh, the receiving lines from, from, you know, guys like Tyrone Broden at Bowling Green, he still had four receptions, 111 yards, two touchdowns in this game. I agree with you though. I, I think this is a closer game than, than people are giving the zips credit for. Uh, I, I think that, we're going to look back at the end of this season. I think we might look at this game as kind of a turning point for Akron, or I should say last week's game against Bowling Green. Um, I wouldn't be surprised here, Steve. I know the rest of their games on the schedule here, you know, six games left. They'll, they'll be underdogs in all of them, but I wouldn't be surprised to see them knock off another team uh, and maybe pick up one more win here before it's all said and done. I really liked the fight that I saw from Tom Art's team last week. Now on the other side with Miami, as I mentioned, you know, I liked what I saw from their defense a lot last week. Ivan Pace was everywhere. He was all over the field. They sacked Ben Bryant six times. So I think this African offensive line is going to be challenged a little bit in this one as well. If they can keep Gibson or whoever's under center upright, then they'll give themselves a chance in this one. Uh, again, so Akron, a 19-and-a-half-point underdog traveling to Miami uh, at 52-and-a-half the total in this one Saturday at 2.30. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We got Toledo and Central Michigan up next here, Steve. Central Michigan, a four-and-a-half-point home underdog uh, to Toledo, 51-and-a-half the total here. This one kicks Saturday, 3.30, CBS Sports Network. I mentioned it in the introduction, another disappointing performance from the Rockets this past week. Now, Ohio – or I'm sorry, Central Michigan with a nice come-from-behind victory uh, against Ohio. A couple second-half touchdowns from Khalil Pimpleton proved to be the difference for the Chippewas there. For uh, Toledo, it seems like Daquan Finn might be the start, have c- kind of become the starting quarterback here. Him and Carter Bradley have been splitting snaps, but he seemed to get the, the lion's share of them this past Saturday. My question in this one, you know, Toledo seems to be, uh, you know, they, they seem to have been having more success on the ground than through the air. However, you're playing this Central Michigan secondary who is last in the MAC at defending the pass. Ohio, even Ohio had success against that. So, 
Um, I'm, I'm curious to see how that matches up and what the game plan is for uh, the Rockets. An interesting note that I didn't realize until I was doing some research on this game, Daquan Finn of Toledo was actually committed to Central Michigan before ultimately signing with Toledo. So again, we're going to see Central Michigan's passing attack uh, on offense against Toledo secondary, who was second in the MAC and pass defense. Toledo, uh, Central Michigan averaging almost 300 yards a game through the air. Central Michigan will be without Ja'Cory Sullivan, uh, a wide receiver for the second straight game. And then also Troy Brown, their third leading tackler at linebacker, got hurt last week against Ohio, and he has been ruled out as well. Steve, a lot going on here. Uh, what, do you, what do you think about this one? I, I can't get a great read on, on Toledo right now. I don't know what to expect from them. Central Michigan, though, uh, you know, they, they've been up and down. A nice win for them at Ohio last week. What do you see in this one? I think Talia is still probably going to start Carter Bradley. I believe he started every game this year. He took the first two series against NIU, and then they put Daquan Finn in for the next five possessions. And two, two of Finn's first three possessions resulted in touchdowns, Toledo's, uh, all Toledo's points in the first half. So it was no surprise to me that they kind of rode Finn for most of the game. And Finn was also responsible for their lone touchdown pass in the second half. So I won't be shocked if they do move to him because – that's where all their touchdowns were generated from last week. He had he had a solid day, not his best day as a runner. He didn't have a run longer than eight yards. Didn't have one of those breakaway zone reads that he's had. I mean, I think he's had like four or five rushes of touchdown rushes of like 24 yards or more this season. And he's been yeah. pretty good there, but NIU didn't really allow him to have that. But with Toledo, I, th I think they'll be fine with, Bryant Kobach in this game I thought Ohio did a solid job of running the ball on Central Michigan with 179 yards and three touchdowns and Kobach really showed how dominant he still can be against in that UMass game and I thought he had a pretty good game against NIU with that breakaway 40-yard touchdown run and also his 75-yard halfback screen that he took to the house in the first half so I think Kobach is going to be the probably the star of this game and I really don't trust Central Michigan at the moment. I don't know if it's they, – they have three wins this year and two wins over FBS teams. But uh, come from behind victory against FIU when trailing by, what, 17 points, and then a come from behind victory against Ohio to win by three points, it's not impressing me that much because Central Michigan – these are games that it feels like they should win by a lot more than they actually are. And they're having to come from behind to even beat one in five Ohio and one in five FIU. And that's a little concerning to me at the moment. So there's that aspect of it. I do think central Michigan does have like a solid front seven still. I mean, they got 10 tackles for a loss against Ohio and they really controlled, they really controlled like the line of scrimmage, a lot of plays in that game. But I do think that Toledo's defense is even better. I said earlier in the podcast that Toledo's defense really hasn't wavered this year. And they're one of the top scoring defenses in the country right now with allowing just 17 and a half points per game. That's tied for 19th with Kentucky, another team that's getting a lot of uh, rounds of national attention for how good their defense has been. And Toledo has been pretty balanced, I think. And, preventing the run and the pass so I think that Toledo's defense is going to be the factor in this game and I think Brian Kobach is going to lift the offense over Central Michigan in a rather low scoring game I don't think either team hits 30. I, I I could I could agree with that yeah I think um you know as as much as I've been critical of Toledo I think Toledo's defense is still 
one of the better units in in this conference. I mean, you look back through their, uh, you know, look at the box scores this year. Outside of Notre Dame, who uh, threw for 300 yards on them, no team outside of that has even reached 200. And that includes Ball State. I mean, Drew Plitt only threw for 190 against this Toledo secondary, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago. So I still, I still really like what this team has uh, on the back end of their defense. And I still think this defense is going to give uh, the Central Michigan passing attack all kinds of problems, especially if they don't have Ja'Cory Sullivan, which they're not going to. I mean, when, when Ja'Cory Sullivan is healthy and you have to worry about him and Dallas Dixon and Khalil Pimpleton and then Lou Nichols coming out of the backfield, that's that, I mean, that is a, a load of weapons that you have to worry about. You take away Ja'Cory Sullivan there, you're allowed to, you know, you can focus then more a little bit more on Pimpleton and a little bit more on uh, on on Dallas Dixon. Pimpleton, to me, he was the best player on the field uh, in this game this past Saturday against Ohio. Had himself a really, really, really nice game. Finished with, uh, he had, like I said, he had those two, uh, two touchdowns in the second half. One of them on a seven-yard rush on an end around and then five catches for 78 yards and another touchdown there. I think Toledo's secondary is going to be able to take him away. And I also don't think that their front seven is going to allow Lou Nichols to go for 186 yards like the Bobcats uh, did this past week. I agree with you, Steve. As much as I've been critical of Toledo and as much as they disappointed me last week, I, I, I agree with you on Central Michigan in the terms of, of I, don't, I don't trust them. These last couple of weeks, they've had to squeak by by the skin of their teeth against teams who, frankly, I don't think are very good. You look at Ohio, you look at Florida International – uh, in sandwich in between there, you had that loss at Miami where the, the Red Hawks offense really did just about whatever they wanted against this Central Michigan defense. So I'm with you. I, I think Toledo does pull this one out and starts to right the ship a little bit. But I, I, I agree with you. I think I see this being a lower scoring game. The uh, what's the total out here? Fifty one and a half. Yeah, may, I guess that sounds about right to me. I could see this being like a twenty seven, twenty four, you know, twenty eight, twenty one, uh, something like that in in, uh, in favor of. The, uh, the Rockets, I think also mentioning the Central Michigan defense, as I said in the, in the beginning of this game, uh, Troy Brown getting hurt for them. He's their third leading tackler and one of the, the souls of their linebacking core. So I think losing him, certainly that doesn't help either. Let's move uh, across the uh, across state lines down to DeKalb, where the Bowling Green Falcons look to shake off their disappointing performance against Akron last week, taking on the Northern Illinois Huskies. Northern Illinois quietly in the driver's seat here in the West Division, Steve. They sit atop. They're the only divi- team in the division that's not 1-1. One and one. They're 2-0, two 4-2 and oh, and overall. Nine and a half point favorites in this one, 48 and a half the total. This one kicks Saturday at 3.30. Jason Patterson with a nice game uh, for Bowling Green at running back. You know, a team that really has struggled to run the ball. 15 for 79 last week. But the, they still can't seem to get the ground game going. They finished uh, 34 carries for 107 yards overall. Akron's given up 210 yards per game on the ground for reference. Huskies on the other side, they don't have that problem. They're going to run the ball no matter what. Second in the MAC in rushing, 224 rushing yards per game. Currently, Bowling Green's defense giving up about 180 yards a game on the ground, which is sixth in the MAC. Uh, what do you see in this one here, Steve? I don't. I, I, I'm, I'm curious to see the psyche of how Bowling Green comes out after that deflating loss last week. Same. They're a very difficult team to read at the moment after a team that beat Minnesota and lost to Akron. I mean, if you're a Bowling Green fan heading into the season, I think you take that trade off. 
because that Minnesota win will be an iconic one for the program. I thought it was going to be a sign of a turnaround. I thought Bowling Green would be at three and three by now, especially after they played Kent State very promisingly, and they had a they had a lead in that one in the fourth quarter. So yeah. the fact that Bowling Green lost to Akron was kind of stunning, but five turnovers probably aren't going to happen again this week for the Falcons. But NIU has uglied up games for some teams this year. Throw out the Michigan and Wyoming games. I know throwing out a third of your sample size isn't always the most mathematically ethical <laughs> way to do things, but I do think that Northern Illinois' defense has really responded well in MAC play in limiting Toledo and Eastern Michigan to 20 points apiece. They're not getting to the quarterback, but they're pressuring. They're applying a lot of pressure on passes, and they, they've made things very difficult for Daquan Finn, for Carter Bradley, and for Ben Bryant. And those quarterbacks haven't had their most efficient days there. I know they did sack Ben Bryant five times, so they got to him last week. So I'm impressed by what NIU has been able to do in the pass rush this year. And it, that's the thing is, how is Akron going to handle that again this week? I know Bowling Green applied some pressure last week, but I'll, I'll, I want to see how Zach Gibson does this week against this NIU front, which has done pretty well this season. And the Huskies like to eat up clock time. I want to look up the time of possession stats in the country right now because I think that NIU should be toward the top with how much they've run this year. And even losing Harrison Whaley, their rushing game put up a pretty good performance last week. Yeah, NIU's 14th in the country right now in time mm -hmm. of possession per game. So they've been running the ball pretty well with Ontario Brown even after losing Harrison Whaley to injury. I don't know if Whaley's going to return quite yet. But Rocky Lombardi's also done pretty well as a power runner from the quarterback position, regardless of what he's looked like through the air. So I do trust NIU just to pound the rock on Bowling Green's defense. And it's going to be it's going to be a struggle in the middle between these two teams. I think this is another low scoring game we're headed toward. And Bowling Green's probably going to respond with passing instead of running. I know they ran on Akron's atrocious run defense last week, but Matt, Matt McDonald's been able to complete passes i mean you said earlier that he's had some good throws this season tyrone broden really stepped up with 111 yards and two touchdowns last week and bowling green's passing game has really been the focal point of the offense so we're going to see contrasting styles in this one and i'm gonna pick i wouldn't be shocked if bowling green wins this game with a mm. bounce back performance but i think i'm just gonna ride niu in this one i don't know actually Oh, am I going to top myself into Bowling Green? I think oh, I am. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm going to second-guess myself. NIU is not going to start 3-0 in that play. I think Bowling Green responds after last week's performance and pulls it off on the road. This is wow. 2021 action for you. Expect yeah. the unexpected. After you will what? see that in my pin-and-down picks. You will see Bowling Green in my pin-and-down picks. We will hold you to that, my man. I, You know – after last weekend, I, nothing would surprise me. <laughs> nothing would surprise me at all. And here's, here's one thing I want to say about Bowling Green. Obviously, last week, major disappointment. I've, I've seen some Bowling Green fans and, and some people just, you know, around them, you know, in Mac Twitter, um, seeming to think that, that Matt McDonald is the problem for Bowling Green. He clearly did not play his best game yesterday, but he's still, even in that, as I mentioned, he made some great throws in that game. He's really, really progressed this year. That first touchdown pass he threw the Tyrone Broden right down the seam 
between two defenders, between the linebacker and the safety. One of the best throws I've ever seen him make. As I also mentioned, that first interception he threw was another very good throw that hit Austin Osborne right in the hands and popped straight up in the air. Wasn't Matt McDonald's fault. I still think Bowling Green, I, I still think there's a lot in front of them. I think there's a lot pointing up for the Falcons. Obviously, last week was a setback. I do think they'll they'll sneak up on a few teams this year and 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 win a few more games. I, I respect your your courage to pick them in this game. I don't know if I can get myself to pick them against this Northern Illinois team. The only reason why is because one thing I love about Northern Illinois and I just in general, we, you know, a team like Northern Illinois is this team knows who they are. They know their identity. They, they seem to love their coach, not saying that Bowling Green doesn't, but they seem to play hard for Thomas Hammock. And again, they, they, they know their identity. They're comfortable establishing the run Rocky Lombardi clearly doesn't care about his passing stats I mean only threw 24 passes last week only 154 yards to the air but also 12 carries for 90 yards I mean he's another legitimate running threat that they have in the backfield and it's also starting to seem like with the Huskies behind this offensive line this offensive line was very very young last year tons of freshmen and sophomore last year but that's paying off now they are able to run the ball no matter who's back there in the backfield. Ontario Brown, 24 for 93 and a touchdown last week against Toledo. These last two weeks since Harrison Whaley's been out, Ontario Brown, 40 carries for 194 yards, 4.8 yards per carry. It's starting to seem like Northern Illinois is just going to be able to run the ball no matter who the back is in back there. So I really like that they have an established identity that they can lean on if this game is close. Before you even picked Bowling Green, I was going to say – that I see this as a one-score game. I don't think Northern Illinois, you know, runs the score up here. They don't. They don't have that. They're not that type of team. You know, they're going to run the ball. They're not going to run away from people. I think they're not going to blow teams out. I think Northern Illinois wins this game by a field goal. I think it's going to be close. Mm -hmm. I, if things break Bowling Green's way, they get a turnover or two. I could easily see it going the other way. Uh, this is going to be an interesting one, though. I, I, I really like. The, uh, I, I love that you picked Bowling Green because. I, I, you know, I could certainly see it happening. I do think they're going to sneak up and get another couple, you know, one or two more wins this year. I don't know if it's this week, but I, I love that. And we'll see how they respond on the road. Bowling Green, you think back to the early 2000s when, you know, uh, Bowling Green in Northern Illinois, but for a long time, this was like a premier matchup in the MAC. Obviously, both teams have been down a little bit these last few years, but certainly this is going to be bring bring back memories of, uh, you know, Michael Turner and guys like that when when Northern Illinois and Bowling Green were both uh, were both solid. I also loved that stat you put up. I didn't realize Northern Illinois was that high up in the nation. What did you say? Fourteenth in terms of time of possession. Yeah, fourteenth in time of possession. And I'm thinking more of 2013 to 2015. This was our MAC championship game three sure. years in a row. This was the max version of Alabama Clemson where you'd have the teams alternate wins. Bowling Green pulled off a major upset to prevent the Mac from a BCS bid in 2013, taking down mm -hmm. Heisman finalist Jordan Lynch and NIU. Then NIU exacted their revenge in 2014, and then Bowling Green took it in 15. And Bowling Green hasn't even been to a bowl game since 2015. And NIU did get that 2018 title in there just by shocking everyone with an eight and six record and yeah. somehow getting past Buffalo. But yeah, I, I always get excited when these two teams play just because of the logos and the history that's associated with these two teams. And they had a college game day uh, appearance in 2003. I was just going to say, I saw that video floating around on Twitter a couple days ago of, of Lee Corso and Kirk Herbstreet and the guys there at Bowling Green whenever Urban Meyer was there uh, at Bowling Green. And uh, 
obviously, you know, a lot of great uh, PJ Fleck was on that Northern Illinois team. So a lot of great games, you know, from, from like 2000 to 2015, those 15 years, I mean, these are two of the best teams in the conference. So always exciting to, to see them play last game of the weekend here, Steve, uh, probably, I don't know if you want to call it the most high profile game, but, but certainly the one that'll probably have the most eyeballs on it. Kent state, uh, coming off that victory over Buffalo on Saturday, they travel up to Kalamazoo across divisional matchup here taking on the Broncos. Western Michigan, a six-and-a-half-point favorite in this one. Saturday, 3.30 kick at Waldo Stadium. This one, national television on ESPNU. With Miami losing last week and with Kent State beating Buffalo, they are now in the driver's seat in the East. The offense seemed to hit their stride for Kent State, 633 total yards against a Buffalo defense that have been playing well. Dustin Crum, 400 yards, three touchdowns. Marquez Cooper had 100 yards on the ground and a touchdown. We mentioned Dante Cephas already. Uh, Steve, I, I, I have to think that I think about this Western Michigan defense and I saw what their secondary did against ball state, everything that ball state can do through, you know, passing the ball. I think West, I think Kent state can do better. I think they have better weapons and a better quarterback. I I'm going to be honest with you, Steve. I don't, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I think Kent state wins this one in a, in a runaway. I think they run away with this one. I don't think this one's close. I can actually see one team just having a disastrous performance in this game, just sloppy, turning the ball over, allowing mm. long touchdown passes. I don't know which team it's exactly going to be. I think my instinct is just to go with a favorite in the home team and pick Western Michigan here, especially because Kent State was so inconsistent early in the season. They didn't even crack 20 in their non-conference schedule against the three FBS teams that they played. Bowling Green held them to 27. And I don't know if Kent State's life that they showed last week against Buffalo was enough for me to trust them. Then again, Western Michigan's been inconsistent as well. So it's, it's very <laughs> difficult to tell. But what I do know is these are the two best quarterbacks in the conference, and they're pretty efficient too. I just mentioned that Caleb Ellaby didn't throw an interception until last week. And last year, Ellaby finished with 18 touchdowns to just two interceptions on some of the most efficient passing in the country. And Dustin Crum in the past, in the two years prior to 2021, he had 32 touchdown passes compared to just four interceptions. He threw two picks in the A&M game and he hasn't thrown one in the five games since. He finally had a great passing performance, which I've waited all year for against Buffalo, where he had 407 yards, three touchdowns, uh, a nice average again, kept connecting with Dante Cephas. And Dustin Crum finally played like Dustin Crum again. And as a rusher, too, he accounted for two additional touchdowns, had 72 yards, showed some of his speed and crafty running in that game, too. So I, I'm excited where Kent State's offense is right now. And I think Western Michigan, if they're not turning the ball over, I think they have high potential in their offense, too. They're going to run the ball better on Kent State, as most teams do. So Ladarius Jefferson and Sean Tyler are going to have better weeks this week. But I also think that Caleb Ellaby can air the ball out to Sky Moore and Western Michigan and Corey Crooms and Jaden Reed and Western Michigan can get some good production on both ends in this game. So I'm hoping for a shootout. I'm hoping this is like 54 to 51 because these offenses, when they're in sync, they they're amazing. We saw what Western Michigan did against Pitt. We saw what Kent state did against Buffalo. And I'm hoping that, both of those performances combined in this game so we can get a nice, nice high scoring finish here. Yeah, I'm with you. I think honestly, it's it's not 
very often that I would say a total set at 64 and a half is too low, but I think that's too low for this game. I think Kent state could score 50 points in this game. I, I gotta be honest. Like I was really, really impressed with Western Michigan's defense the two weeks prior last week. And I was starting to think they were legitimate, but I, I just, I can't get there after watching what drew Plitt did to them last week. Plitt was, I mean, here's, here's my thing. Western Michigan this year has played two teams with, with legitimate passing offenses. Ball State last week, Plitt was 15-25, 3 4 touchdowns. Kenny Pickett from Pittsburgh. Now, now disclaimer here, Kenny Pickett is leading the nation in passing. A, a dark horse Heisman candidate. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not, you know, giving up a lot of yards to him is nothing to be ashamed of. But nonetheless, 23 of 31, 382 yards, six touchdowns and an interception is what he did against this Broncos secondary. I just, I do not see this secondary slowing down Dustin Crum in this offense. Especially, you know, you mentioned the dual threat of Dustin Crum. This dude is is tough. Like his, some of his runs, the first touchdown Kent State scored on Saturday, it was third and goal from the 10. They, they called a quarterback draw out of the shotgun. He ran right up the middle and he ran over a linebacker to get into the end zone. Like I'm really impressed with his toughness running the ball. He seems to have found his stride. Now, I do not think that Kent State's defense is going to be able to completely slow down Western Michigan. I still think I could see Western Michigan getting the 30 points in this game, but I could also see Kent State getting the 50. I might be going out on a limb here. I might be putting too much stock in one poor performance from the Broncos secondary last week. And, and maybe I'm putting also too much stock in one performance that I saw from Kent State's offense last week against Buffalo. I just, um, I don't know. I don't see this, this Western Michigan secondary being able to match up with Dante Cephas and Kashawn Abram and Nikeem Hines and all these guys, I, I see Kent State really, I, you know, I, I could see another 600-yard game from this offense. Maybe I'm wrong, but uh, either way, I think this is going to be a great game. I think this is appointment television. If you're a Mac football fan, this is the game to watch this week, I think, in my opinion. What do you think, Steve? Uh, I, I completely agree, and uh, I'd say before Kent actually, I still might put this as my Mac championship game prediction. Yeah. Because I think I think Western Michigan is going to get wins over Toledo and NIU later this year, and I'm glad I'm glad this game's on ESPNU and wasn't reverted to ESPN Plus because it, it's it's a quality game that deserves to be on network television. And I, I kind of wish this was a midweek game so even more people would watch what Dustin yeah. Crum and Caleb Ellaby are capable of. I said these are these are going to be the two All Mac quarterbacks this year. There's a lot of receiving talent in this game with Dante Cephas, Sky Moore. And even some playmakers on the defense. We know Kent State is one of the teams that picks off passes at the highest rate in the at one of the highest rates in the country. Western Michigan has some interesting names up in the front seven with Ali Fayad and Ralph Hawley manning the defensive line. So I think that there's a lot of talent in this game, and it's just going to be guns ablazing. I think when they meet on Saturday afternoon. I'm with you, and um. You, something you mentioned there leads me into one last thing I want to discuss before we get to the rest of the slate this Saturday and talk about our other games we're watching. Uh, let's let's take a look here at the Mac West real quick because <laughs> in the Mac West we got Northern Illinois at two and zero, and then we got five teams sitting at one and one right now. So you kind of hinted at it. It sounds like you still think Western Michigan's coming out on top in this division. Is that who you're still going with? Yeah, I think Western Michigan's the most stable, trustworthy team there. Ball State's finally getting into their own, but I think that Ball State might be might be primed for a slip up if they go back to how they played the first few weeks later this year. I think that Western Michigan, though, 
if they can play their normal football, prevent the turnovers, they have a pretty balanced offense. Their defense may be inconsistent, but it, there, there's times where they've really shown out against Buffalo and against San Jose State, and it felt like they smothered both of those teams. So I, I think Western Michigan is my pick for the West, but it's really interesting that there's five teams tied at one and one, and one right now. So yeah. that's, that's an interesting look for the conference. Am, am I crazy to think that Northern Illinois is going to win the West? No, because Northern Illinois does something that I think we used to call NIU devil magic at Hustle Belt. Where Northern <laughs> Illinois would just somehow win the most sloppy game in November. This was like, in, this was after Jordan Lynch. This was like 2014 and 2015 Northern Illinois. That would just win, and it happened again in 2018 and to an extent in 2017, where they would win the sloppiest game in November that they had no business winning. And it would just, and it was usually against Toledo. It was usually how Toledo's MAC title odds were thwarted every year. Same against Ohio. (laughs) It was like Toledo and Ohio would just come into NIU play NIU in November and NIU would win in the ugliest fashion. I'm looking at scores right now. 2014, they beat Toledo 27-24 and they beat Ohio 21 to 14. That NIU team ended up winning the Mac. And when they got to the I think it was the Boca Raton Bowl against Marshall, they just got crushed in that game. And let's see, 2015 NIU. Yeah, it was it was against Western Michigan. That was the year before the Cotton Bowl season where they they beat Toledo in November and Western Michigan in November. Like they, they win these games in November that nobody expects them to win all the time. So, and they did it actually in 2019 too, because if you remember the Mac West race was crazy in 2019, like every team could have won it in the last few weeks and they beat Toledo in midweek action and they stunned Western Michigan in midweek action. And that's why central made the Mac title game that yes. year. Yes. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah, so NIU just somehow they're they're the chaos team in the MAC and just <laughs> I know Eastern Michigan they like to play in one possession games and they can beat or lose to anyone, but NIU is just the team that gets those those Pitt Panthers chaos wins in November, and they even got that chaos win in November for the MAC championship game in 2018 when I think yeah. everybody had Buffalo beating them. Yeah. So that's that's an interesting thing. So I'm not going to roll NIU out because of that, but yeah. The, the other thing about NIU, you mentioned these midweek, you know, November games. November 10th, Ball State has to go to DeKalb to play the Huskies. November 23rd, Western Michigan has to go to DeKalb to play the Huskies. So you've already beaten Toledo. You get the other two presumptive, you know, favorites in the mm-hmm. division or contenders in the division. You, got, you get to play them at home. I don't know. I, I, I can't believe I'm saying it because at the beginning of the year, I wouldn't have even thought Northern Illinois was going to make a bowl game this year, but they seem to be way ahead of schedule in Tom Hammock's third year, Thomas Hammock's third year. So kudos to them. Going to be some interesting matchups in the Mac West here in the, uh, in the last month of the season. Before we close out here, uh, Steve, obviously the, one of my favorite parts of the show every week, we get to talk about the rest of the slate this week and some of the other games on your radar we already had a good start. We had some some Tuesday night fun belt last week, as you or last night, as you mentioned, Louisiana uh, racing boat race in Appalachian State, forty one to thirteen. Got some interesting matchups on Thursday and Friday night this week. Uh, and a good good slate on Saturday. What's on your radar this week? 
on my radar this week is the same game that's on Peyton Manning's radar and Eli Manning's radar. Yeah. I'm talking about an Ole Miss Tennessee game that is going to finish in the fifties. I think because last week, Ole Miss Arkansas was arguably the game of the week. I know we had A&M Bama and we had the Texas Oklahoma fantastic finish there, but with Ole Miss and Arkansas, you saw three touchdowns in the last 90 seconds of that game. And it end on Arkansas going for two at the buzzer and missing it. Ole Miss hanging on to a, 52 to 51 win. There's no question this Ole Miss team can score the ball. Matt Corral is going to be one of the Heisman finalists probably this year. And I love watching Jeff Lebby's up-tempo offense that he has with the Rebels with Lane Kiffin there. So I think Matt Corral is probably due for another great game. And this team can run the ball too. They had 324 yards and five touchdowns on Arkansas in addition to Corral dominating through the air. Then you want to look at Tennessee. The Josh Heupel era, uh, the Josh Heupel hire might have got some criticism at the time, but it looks like it's been a pretty good hire because this offense is now putting up insane numbers. Against Mizzou, they scored, I think they had 11 possessions in that game. They scored eight touchdowns, two field goals, and one turnover on downs. Didn't Mm -hmm. even punt against Mizzou. (laughs) And that was a game that had a pretty close spread. Against South Carolina, they come out firing again, and they have touchdowns on five of their first six possessions in the first half. They go into the halftime with a 38-7 to lead, slow down in the second half, but it's still obvious that this offense is finally explosive, which we didn't really see. Even when Tennessee had some good teams in the early Butch Jones era, we never saw Tennessee explode on offense like this. So just the, the offense is meeting in one place, and I'd love to have a Manning cast for this game. I think Ole Miss Tennessee is actually probably my number one game of the week this yeah. week. You got you got a game? I, I do. One one comment about that Ole Miss. Another thing about that game that's really intriguing to me, Lane Kiffin's return to Knoxville. I mean, that's mm-hmm. gonna be, I mean, the environment in that game is going to be electric. Um for for a game that intrigues me this week, I'm going way, way, way off the board here. And I'm going to – I'll hint at this game by, by just asking a question. Is UTEP going to go to a bowl game this year? <laughs> UTEP is 5-1, and one, hosting Louisiana Tech at home. Louisiana Tech's 2-3 and three in this, uh, this season. However, they're a, a touchdown favorite on the road against UTEP. I got to be honest with you, Steve. I've watched – I haven't seen an entire game of UTEP. I watched a little bit of their game against South, Southern Miss last week. I watched a little bit of their game against Old Dominion two weeks ago. I kind of like what I see from this UTEP. I mean, they haven't beaten anyone good, but they have some talent on this team. I don't know. Am I – like, I, I – they're – to me, they're a great story. If you would ask me before the year, I'd have thought they were going to win one game, just like they've won for the last decade. It seems like they win one or two games a year. They're sitting at five and one right now, two and zero oh in the com- in, in conference USA. I'm I'm happy for them. I love rooting for the underdogs. Uh, I I don't think that they're gonna pull off this game. Don't be deceived by Louisiana Tech's record. Also, Louisiana Tech faces like it's it's a thing around CUSA Twitter that Louisiana Tech always just loses in the most gut wrenching way possible. Yeah, they blew a twenty point lead to Mississippi State in Week One in the fourth quarter. Mississippi State rattled off twenty one straight points to win thirty five to thirty four. Then Louisiana Tech's next loss was on a hail mary to SMU, and that's why SMU still undefeated. And then they come with an NC State comes up with a goal line stand on them in Week, and I think that was Week Five. So those are their three losses right now. NC State's ranked. Mississippi State has beat a ranked A&M team. 
and SMU's yeah. ranked. So those are their three losses right now. And I'm, I'm just not sold on UTEP because the only real competition UTEP has faced, like a team that isn't ranked below 110 in the country, is Boise State. And that looked like UTEP of old in that game. It was 54 yeah. to 13. And Boise State in the second quarter was scoring just pretty much just about every single play. UTEP's improved, but they're not there yet, I don't think, to compete in this USA. Will they get that sixth win? Probably. I mean, there's winnable games left on that schedule. I know they have Rice coming up. North Texas is really a shell of themselves, a shell of its former self right now. And so I I think they'll be able to attain that mark. I just don't think it happens this week. Yeah. I agree with you. I, I just, it's a great story for me. I love rooting for teams that, uh, you know, perform above expectations and, and do more with less. What about you? Anything else uh, on your, uh, on your radar for this weekend? Yes. When I went to college at Texas, Texas beat every single big 12 team, except for one in my four years there, that team was Oklahoma state. Mm. Now Texas is currently riding a two game win streak against the pokes, including a a shocking comeback that they had last year on Halloween, a game where Oklahoma state had the game one, but I think they like fumbled the ball four times. And that's how Texas came back into it and won in overtime. But I think that's an interesting way to see how Texas responds after the heartbreaking red river rivalry loss, becoming the third team this year to blow a loss a blow a lead as great as 21 points. And Oklahoma state comes into this game undefeated and Oklahoma state, I mean, if you're undefeated in the Big 12, you're probably going to go to a playoff, especially in this wacky year. So if Oklahoma State can keep things up, get that confidence-boosting win over Texas, I'm excited for Bedlam later this season because Oklahoma looks vulnerable. And another Big 12 game I might want to point to is, is this a trap game for Oklahoma? They return home against TCU, but TCU Mm -hmm. played pretty well against Texas. I know they list their starting quarterback, Max Duggan, and starting running back, Zach Evans, is questionable right now. But I think that TCU could could present the Sooners with a game in this one because Sooners have not beat any of their five FBS opponents by more than one score this year. Yeah, Oklahoma has been very, very underwhelming to me. And um, I, I thought it was telling uh, last week their, um, you know, how they kind of took off after – uh, they they made the change at quarterback, moving away from from Spencer Rattler. So I'll be curious to see what uh, what you know what the quarterback situation looks like uh, for for Oklahoma. Another game I'm looking at this week, Steve, uh, involves a Big Twelve team, but it's a, it's a non conference game. It would have been a lot more intriguing for me if BYU wouldn't have been upset by Boise mm-hmm. State this past Saturday. But the Cougars traveling down to Waco to take on Baylor. I think that's a low key, really really good game and. Before last week, before losing to Boise last week and getting upset, I I was starting to think that, you know, everyone talked about Cincinnati be crashing the playoff as a non-Power 5 team, and rightfully so. But if BYU would have run the table, they would have had, you know, they, they play seven games, I believe, against Power 5 opponents this year. I, I could have seen them being in the conversation as well. Obviously, that's off the table now after that loss to Boise. But I still, this is a really intriguing game to me. I actually, I like what I've seen from Baylor this year. They have two really good running backs that I like. Abram Smith has been really good, averaging almost eight yards a carry. And then Tristan Ebner as well behind him, averaging over six yards a carry. I really like this Baylor team. I, th- I think they've, they've kind of quietly... Um, you know, they, they have some nice wins so far this year. Obviously, you know, I, I think obviously Iowa State isn't quite what we thought they might be. But Baylor sitting at five and one, taking on the uh, the Cougars at home in, in Waco. That's a that's a very intriguing game to me. I'll be curious to see how BYU 
uh, bounces back in this one. Uh, what, what about one more for you? Any, anything else you, you're looking at that you like on Saturday? Yeah, dominant win for Baylor against West Virginia. And yeah. after a down year last year, it seems like Baylor's up and down every year. You can never really predict where they're going to stand in the Big 12. Let's see, one more game. I, I would put UCF Cincinnati if the UCF team that came out of the tunnel on week one against Boise State was playing in this game. But UCF's without Dylan Gabriel now. They're starting their number one running back in Isaiah Bowser, their top receiver in Jay Flash Robinson, their top defensive tackle on Kalia Davis. The, the team's too banged up to do anything against Cincinnati. So that's unfortunate because that could have been a really good game. But for my final pick, let's do – you know what? I really like this Pitt Panthers football team, and I yeah. just want to see what they can do against Virginia Tech because Kenny Pickett right now might be having as good of a season, might have the best season of any quarterback in college football. And you don't usually expect that out, out of Pitt quarterbacks. So what Kenny Pickett's been doing this season, 19 touchdowns, one interception, 72% completion percentage, and he's getting almost 400 yards in every single game. So I'm, I'm excited to see what they can do about Virginia Tech and see if they can put together an inspiring ACC coastal run, and maybe even an ACC title run with this wide open conference. Yeah, and uh, what a what a disappointing loss for Virginia Tech last week, blowing that game at the end to Notre Dame. I know they have some issues at quarterback. Burmeister got hurt. Uh, the, the backup got hurt. Burmeister came back. Yeah, there's there's a lot. Um, I'm sorry, not Burmeister, but um, uh, Virginia Tech's – I'm blanking. Is it Burmeister? Braxton yes, Burmeister? It is. Yeah, it okay, is. sorry. I'm, I'm too much college football rolling around in my <laughs> mind. But, uh, yeah, so I agree. I mean – Pitt, the, the, the ACC is wide open. Like, I mean, if we see an ACC title game of like Pitt and Wake Forest, imagine, I mean, that, that, that would be pretty, uh, that would be pretty incredible. Um, another game, I'm going to give one more here uh, that, that I'm uh, looking forward to watching. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I, again, you know, this is, I wouldn't normally pick a game involving Alabama, but Alabama had won a hundred straight games against non unranked opponents prior to last week's game against Texas A&M. I really want to see how they look against uh, Mike Leach in this air raid offense on Saturday. If I'm being honest for you, I, with you, I kind of feel bad for Mississippi State here having to play Bama after uh, them, you know, losing to to Texas A&M. I think Alabama is going to win this one in a blowout. But I'm I'm curious. I'm just I'm I'm just generally curious to see how they bounce back. I feel like it, that's so. This is a position we haven't seen Alabama in in quite some time, where they lost a game that we, uh, you know, against an unranked opponent that they were clearly better than. So the storyline of that is is a little bit intriguing to me, and I'll be curious to see how that one pans out. Obviously, Mississippi State's last time out, uh, they had a bye week last week, but before that, they won at A&M. Uh, where Bama just lost. So certainly uh, an intriguing matchup there. Uh, a lot of great games on the slate this weekend. Uh, as always, folks, enjoy the Saturday and enjoy the uh, enjoy the football on Saturday. Steve, any any closing thoughts? Anything else you want to touch on before we uh, sign off here? Uh, not really. I just think that <laughs> overall the MAC this year has been insane, and honestly, it's it's got to the point where there's not really many results that would shock me. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe remove Akron from the picture. No offense to Akron. I just don't think that they're there yet. But remove Akron from the picture and put any result of eleven, the 11 teams, and I won't be shocked. I, I can't disagree with that. I can't disagree with that at all. So the beautiful thing about this is we're only halfway through the season. We got six weeks of, of all-MAC football left here, and uh, we're here for it, as I know you guys are. We're also only a couple weeks away here from the midweek match and starting at the first week in November. So we'll be excited for that as well. 
That's going to wrap it up for this week's folks. As always, I am Zach Follador signing off for my partner in crime, Steve Helwick. Thank you all for stopping by with us this week. Enjoy all the football on Saturday. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you again here next Friday.